Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. We're going to say our declaration. All right, here we go. Let's say it like we mean it. I will constantly guard my heart and align it with God's holy word for everything I do flows from it. Amen. All right. So we're in this series called Free. We're talking about being free from uh, legalism, free from the law. And we've started our class uh, called Free. And uh, I heard that that went great. I was out of town at a prayer retreat this week, but I heard that that class went great. A really great group of people looking to get free from things that they battled with for years. And so in this series, it really is all about freedom, but it's also about balance. It's not just about getting free from the law and legalism. Everybody's about that, I believe. But, you know, it's also about being free from uh, the license of sin like the 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 draw to sin because uh, we don't have to be bound to the law, but we also don't have to be bound to sin either. And when you get to that place of maturity, and it is a balance. When, when I say a balance, um, you know, you can be perfectly balanced. I don't know what in the world is perfectly balanced. I'm sure some of you science nerds out there would know that kind of information. But like, I looked balanced right now, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm balancing. Does that make sense? I'm not balanced. I'm balancing. I can feel my body uh, right now swaying from side to side. And when it sways to the left, uh, you know, my left foot kicks in and pushes back a little bit. When I, when I, you know, if I don't push back with my right foot and I, it's a constant of this going on. And that's how we are in our spiritual walk. We constantly, Paul says, I have two natures. I have a spiritual nature and I have a sinful nature. I have spiritual desires. We talked about that last week and I have spiritual desires and they are constantly at war. And I'm constantly by the power of Christ in me, balancing those things. And it's a beautiful uh, thing when you get to a point in your, in your walk with the Lord where that's not that much of a problem for you, that you're, you've grown up in the Lord, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? Anybody know what I'm saying, uh, how you grow up in the Lord? I'm not talking about growing up in the church. <clears throat> you can grow up in the church and still be a big spiritual baby. I'm talking about you grow up into the Lord. There were some things I didn't used to know spiritually that now I know that I'm like, oh gosh, I wish I had known this when I was 15, 16, 17, 20, 28 you know, but now I know those things and it's easier for me. But there was a time in my life, guys, and I'm sure that uh, it was time in your life and maybe some of y'all might experience that now, but there was a time in my life where it wasn't so easy for me to be balanced when it came to certain kind of sin or certain kind of attitudes. It was a struggle for me. And I look back now and I go, that's not even an issue for me. I had a uh, minister to tell me one time, uh, he had a beautiful wife and we were in ministry together and we would go off. Now, don't go all judgmental uh, on him, you know, but we would go off together 
because he had a struggle, okay? But we would go off together, and he would, I mean, we would be on ministry trips. We'd be visiting people in hospital and things, and he would see a, a beautiful lady, and he would gravitate towards that in his thoughts, and he would fixate on it. And I would say to him, like, why do you do that? I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm just, I'm trying to gain understanding. Like, why do you do that? Because, like, your wife, and I called her name, and we're, we're close friends. I said, because she's beautiful. Like, you have a beautiful wife. Like, that allure should not be there, not at this point in your life. And he began to talk to me about, like, his struggle with that and how he struggled with that. And it was generational in his family. And... Uh, I didn't have that. So we got to be very careful that, you know, I could have easily looked at him down my spiritual nose of legalism because that wasn't something I struggled with, but he did struggle with it. But yet over here, I struggle with some things that he had no struggle over. And so we can't walk around comparing sin, you know, sin, sin is sin. And, uh, and, and that's a whole nother, uh, uh, that's a whole nother sermon where I said sin is sin, but sin also is not all sin. All sin's not the same. If anybody ever tells you sin, all sin is the same, you know, sin is sin, that's not totally true, even though what I just said, sin is sin. What I mean when I say sin is sin, it just means that God's not pleased with any of it. But there are some levels of sin that are greater than others. You remember how I always tell you that the natural always is a mirror or kind of a reflection of the supernatural? If I go and steal a three uh, cent um, piece of bubble gum from the candy store, or I go out and rob a bank, are they the same? They're both wrong, but one, I'm, I'm going to go to jail and spend some time in jail over. The other's probably just, you know, they're just going to wave it off. If I kill somebody in my thoughts, like I hate them, but I kill somebody, are they the same? No, they're not the same. Like spiritually, there's still something wrong with both of them, but one is worse than the other. And so, you know, we, when we're talking about getting free, we're talking about getting to that place of maturity in our life that we don't struggle with sin anymore. And what, listen to me, because the Lord helped me to start um, clarifying some of the ways that I talk. Uh, I used to say, um, man, I struggle with this. And when you do that, this is just, now this is just for me. I'm not saying this is what you have to do, but this is how the Lord dealt with me. But when I say I struggle with X, I actually, like, that becomes part of my identity. I begin to take on that as a personal characteristic of myself. And so I struggle with OCD, which I don't think I do. My wife might disagree, but, I, but if I keep saying those things, I struggle with OCD or I struggle with, you fill in the blank, I struggle with pornography, I struggle with, you know, whatever, an orphan spirit. What happens if you're not careful, that will become part of your identity. You begin to just own a spirit of poverty. Like, I just struggle with that. That's just something I struggle with. And the Lord corrected me, and he says, you're free from that. 
You don't struggle with an orphan spirit. You don't struggle with a spirit of poverty. You will fight against it, but you don't struggle with it because I have overcome the world. Remember? He has overcome the world. If he's an overcomer, then I'm an overcomer. We operate from this place of victory. And so I started changing and I'm not uh, completely successful with it. And some of you guys that are around me, if you hear that, just say, hey, Pastor Rife, you said that you don't struggle with that anymore. Just correct me because I'm still correcting it. He started this about a year ago and I still slip into that. Well, I, I struggle with this and the Lord will either correct me of it and say, no, you don't struggle with that because I've already overcome that. So if I overcame it, you're free from it. What you do is you fight against it. And there's a difference with struggling because like in, in struggling, like, all right, I'm, I'm gonna ask Brian to come to the stage. All right. This is all impromptu. When you do impromptu stuff, there's so many ways that it could go wrong. But I just wanna show, like when you struggle with something, Oh God, I don't know what he's going to, to get. Like you're not supposed to come with weapons, okay? No weapons. No weapon formed against me will prosper, I'm just saying. But this is like when you struggle with something, come on over here and get close to me. When you struggle with something, we're just gonna kind of struggle. When you struggle with something, you know, like, we, like we're, we're attached. Like, and if I'm trying to get him to the ground, don't take photos of this. If I'm trying to get him to the ground, but, but if I'm fighting him, like you, he's there and we could be fighting with any number of weapons, you know, like, you know, any number of weapons. But when you struggle with it, it's almost like you're uniting with it. Thanks, buddy. But we will constantly fight in the spirit. But I just want to encourage you, consider maybe listening to what Holy Spirit said to me and maybe incorporating that into your own life. Like, I don't struggle with those things. In other words, they're not a part of me. They don't own any right to my life. I'm free of that. And whenever I question the Holy Spirit, I said, well, Lord, why, if I'm free of it, and if I don't struggle with it, why, why does it seem like a struggle? And the Lord said to me, he said, you're confusing a struggle with a fight. He said, those spirits, just because you're free, it does not mean those spirits are gonna give up. The spirit of the enemy came to the Lord seven, uh, uh, three times in the, in the wilderness. Jesus was tempted by the enemy three times. Sent him away, came right back. Sent him away, came right back. Sent him away, came right back. How did he overcome him? He overcame him with the word. The, enemy said, uh, the, the scripture says that when the enemy is cast out, what will he do? Anybody know? When the enemy uh, is cast out, if we don't keep that temple clean, sanctified, in other words, like we talked about last week, that enemy will, will return. He'll, he'll come back. And not only will he come back, he'll come back bigger, badder, with seven more uh, that, that are stronger. And so when we're talking about being free, I hope that through this series that you've learned some ways that you can truly live a free life because it is not God's will for you and it is not God's will for me that we go through life from death 
uh, from new birth to death and constantly struggle the entire time. And I, I get it. Y'all have heard me say it. I grew up in churches where the old preachers would say, and I'm sure they, they uh, you know, thought that they were saying some good stuff, but I'm just telling you, it's just not good to me. And they would say, brothers and sisters, if you got to cling to the arm rails of the altar, the old altar, if you got to come down and if you got to cling to the altar every week over whatever it is you're struggling with, cling to them. And I'm like, that sounds great. That sounds great. It sounds spiritual. But whatever happened to the men of God saying, we don't have to cling for life we don't have to cling out of fear that we're going to go to hell. We don't have to cling to it but like we're weak and, you know, we can't stand. He says, you're a new creation. There's a new power that comes in you. It's the power of Christ that they sang about. It's the solid foundation. It's the power of Christ. And we can stand up against the enemy and we have authority over the enemy. We don't have to cling to the altar, uh, you know, thinking that we got to carry this all our life. We can say, I am free. I'm done with that. I might still fight against that spirit from time to time, but I am free. Praise God. I'm an overcomer because he's overcame the world already. And I'm going to begin to live my life in a boldness like I've never lived before. When you get to that place, and I know we're all on a plane, we're all on a journey, we're all at different places. We might be at different uh, levels, but when you get to that place where man, things don't seem like a struggle, we're still fighting fighting it and we're going to fight until the, to the day that the Lord comes and returns to get us or we meet him face to face after the grave however that comes for us but I'm telling you that you and I can just live free by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us amen and that's the life I'm going to live that's the life I'm going to live I am not going to live a life where the enemy calls the shots amen look to your neighbor and say I'm free I'm getting free. Amen. Y'all ain't, y'all don't believe it enough. I don't hear you loud enough. <laughs> y'all, y'all don't believe it yet. Come on, come on. All right. So let's turn to Galatians. We're going to read about the first, uh, 10 verses in Galatians. Uh, chapter six, the last chapter and holler when you get there. All right. So he's closing out his letter and he's uh, giving his final thoughts to folks. And we'll, uh, let, let me just share this before we dive into that. So, you know, I've been dealing, uh, talking about this. Paul's dealing with this justification. Justification is what Jesus does to keep me in relationship with the father. He comes, he saves me when I invite him in. And he makes me just, he makes me righteous, and he justifies me. Justification means it's just as if I never sinned. And that's what Jesus does to keep me in relationship with, with the Father. But last week we talked about sanctification. And sanctification is what I do to stay in relationship with the Father. 
Sanctification is, is what I do. It's how I live. It's me keeping myself holy. Yes, Holy Spirit keeps me holy positionally. But after that, it's up to me to keep my life holy, my thoughts holy. That's why he gives us the fruit of the Spirit. And that's why he gives us the gifts of the Spirit. So that we can live a holy life. That's why I have the gift of wisdom. The gift of discernment is real simple. It's the ability to tell evil from good good and why does he give us that gift because holy spirit wants us to know like there are just some things guys that we don't have to stop and pray about i know i'm a i'm a prayer person i'm a prayer person i believe in prayer i believe in asking for wisdom when you don't have it but the scripture says if any man lacks wisdom in other words if you are at a place where you don't have wisdom but we already walk around with a great degree of wisdom in and of ourselves because holy spirit lives in us and there are just some situations it's like let me pray about well, I should do this. Well, you should, we don't have to pray about it uh, or not. You, uh, you, you ought to know that's wrong. Holy Spirit living in you should just be uh, you, like your, your weird alarm should be going off. Your, 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 your sin alarm ought to be going off. You ought to just know. But, I, I, you know, in every piece of equipment, usually somewhere, there's a gadget that will override it. You know what I'm saying? I used to love it when we would uh, have those go-karts when we were kids and they would have a governor on it. A governor is what makes it go not beyond a certain speed. And I would love it when we would find that little mechanism and, and we'd just rip that sucker off. We'd just dis, disengage that. And man, we'd be flying through the neighborhood and on, on our go-karts because... We took the governor away. We overrode it. The governor was there for our safety. Sometimes, well, not sometimes, all the time. We have a governor. He's the Holy Spirit. But did you know that there's something built into you that can override the Holy Spirit? It's called your human nature. Your will. Your will. God won't violate your will. If you want to take that governor off, if you want to... If you want your will to supersede Holy Spirit, he'll let you. He'll let you do it. He's not going to force you to do anything. But there are many times where Holy Spirit, we've, Holy Spirit sending the signals inside of us, man. We know that this is something we should not do. But that sinful nature, that sinful desire inside of us is screaming so loud. We'll let that overcome what God is speaking to us. So he says sanctification is our way that we keep ourselves in good relationship, in right relationship with the Father. So he's talked about justification. Justification, this side of the stage, I'm going to represent the law. Justification says you're not tied to that law. That law does not make you righteous. I do. But over here, you got la la sin land. And sanctification says you can't go over here and just live like you want to and just go all, you know, hog wild and crazy. There is this place of balance in my grace that I want you to live. And so today, I just want to share with you that Paul is really talking about in this last chapter, he's talking about restoration. So you got justification, you got sanctification. He's talking about restoration. And restoration is what I do to bring someone back into relationship 
with the Father. So what he's saying, all right, so what does this side of the stage represent? The law. Tied to the law, legalism. What does this side of the stage represent? This is just a license to sin. It's just living a just lifestyle of sin, debauchery, and whatnot. And what he's talking about today, people who have gone from this side and they've gotten lost in this side, how do we get them back to center? How do we get them back to a place of balance? How do we get them back into right relationship with the Lord? Now, you can take this message today and you can take it uh, in the sense of Paul is talking about in, in this. He's talking about bringing people and restoring them into a right relationship with God. But you also can take it and uh, in this sense of bringing people back into right relationship with you or maybe bringing people back into right relationship with other, uh, with one another. And I don't know if you've ever had anybody in your circle that has either betrayed you, stabbed you in the back, lied about you, stole from you, business partners that have just messed you over and, uh, you know, just taken advantage of you or, or whatever. But if, if you've ever had things like that happen in your world, it could be even your family where people are separated relationally. That's a very painful thing. It's a very painful thing, especially if it caught you blindsided, especially if you knew like you weren't expecting it and it came out of nowhere. In the ministry, that happens to us all the time. Like that just happens in ministry to people all the time. Uh, so it's something that I tell young people, young men that are getting started in the ministry. I'll uh, talk to them about the call and what's going on in their world. And, you know, why do you think God's calling you? And do you know what God is calling you to? Like he's not just calling you to ministry. He's not just calling you to uh, pastor. When There's a lot that comes with that. And a lot of these young guys, They'll feel, you know, like God's calling me to this. And I'm like, well, you need to know uh, what you're being called to. Why, why do I say that? And, you know, Pastor Rife, why would you even want to point that stuff out? Because nobody pointed it out for me. And it is a hard lesson to learn. Are you following me? They don't teach you this stuff in seminary. You know where you get that stuff? From the school of hard knocks. That's where you get that from. You get that stuff from the school of life. And I'm like, y'all need that stuff. I, we paid y'all a lot of money to come to school. Like, and y'all missed a few classes. You should have told us this stuff. You should have gave us some tools of how to handle this stuff. And the reason I tell them that is because Jesus said, no man builds a home that he does not sit down and count the cost. In other words, you got to know what you're getting into. You know, if you want to be a doctor, you know, I started, I thought at one time I might like to be in the medical profession. And you know what? I started counting the cost. And the cost wasn't the, the dollars. The cost was eight years of school past 12th grade. No, I ain't called it that. You know, you start counting the cost of what it's going to take you to be a part of that. And so you can talk about, you know, relationship with people. Paul's really talking about relationship between people and the Lord and they've gotten into sin. So I just want to share this with you. This is the key of today's message because Jesus' heart and therefore my heart 
is always restoration over termination. That's the heart of Jesus. His heart is always restoration over termination. Can I just tell you something that just bothers me in the church of, uh, of Christ? This bothers me. It's happened in our church. I've seen it happen in other churches. But people, when they mess up, and God forbid that I ever mess up, I'm not talking about little stuff. I mean, we, we, we do that every day with little mess ups that, that we do. I'm talking about God forbid that I ever have an affair on my wife while I'm the leader of this church or ever. God forbid that I ever take money from the church. God forbid, like we've got safeguards for all of that stuff to not happen. But I'm telling you, the safest of the safest of the safest, I know I'm telling you for for fact, because I've seen it happen. The safest of the safest of the safest, there's still little cracks that the enemy can get in. Always. God forbid that I will ever have to stand before you and own anything heavy like that. I hope that never happens. But I also know that I'm just a, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a guy, I'm a man, just like any other man. And there have been men in ministry greater than I think I am that have fallen. And what he's really talking about is when people fall like that, I have seen them choose termination over restoration. And I have literally said to people, almost begging them, would you please stay? Would you please let's show the church how it looks when restoration happens. If we cut ties if we terminate the relationship, if we terminate, if we keep doing that, when does the church get to see how restoration looks? I had a lady to come into the church one time and she, I don't even know why she brought it up, honestly. I didn't know this lady real well. She had been uh, kind of popping in and out of our church and they owned a, they, and they still do. They own a very prominent business um, in Baldwin County. And these are the kind of people that, you know, uh, if you're not careful, your flesh will get involved and be like, man, I got to, you know, I, I need to, you know, get these people because they're, they have a business and business people are the kind of people that, you know, we, we need in our church. We want la la. And anyway, so one Sunday after church in our old building over there, I don't know how this came up, but she said, I don't know if it was somebody in the ministry world or what, but it came up and she said, and this person had had an affair and she said, um, well, he never needs to be in ministry ever again. And I said, mm, I don't, I, you know, now, this, you, you understand, like, you can bow to mammon and go, oh, don't want to lose these people. You're right. You're exact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just kind of remain silent because silence sometimes is the greatest uh, tool of affirmation to false teaching. And so I said, mm, I don't know. 
I don't know about that. There's plenty of examples in scripture where people have royally messed up. King David, Peter, Peter, Peter. You, you see, there's plenty in there. And even when Judas messed up, Jesus still loved him as one of his closest. And so, you know, when we're talking about restoration, restoration is one of those things that it's always God's desire for restoration instead of termination. And guys, I'm just telling you, we've got to stop. When we, when we mess up, we've got to stop amputating parts of the body of Christ. Like we've got to stop just terminating it and going to the church down the road because you're gonna have a fresh start. Like, no, you're not. Like at some point, it just needs to be dealt with in humility and grace and, and get back to this place. And this is a great, uh, these are some great uh, scriptures that I want to, there's just three of them. First Corinthians 5, 17 and 18 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. In other words, when I've messed up, I've lived a life of sin, when I come back, that does not exist anymore. And all of this is from God. All of the reconciliation, all of the restoration is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And here's the important part I want you to catch. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So we're agents of reconciliation, not termination, not chop off. So when somebody messes up, we are agents to reconcile them back to us, to reconcile them back to the body of Christ. He reconciled us and gave us that gift of reconciliation. This is what Proverbs 18, 19. Has anybody found this to be true? An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Man, if you offend somebody, I'm telling you what, I've had people that I'm the greatest pastor on the planet. I'm the greatest thing since sliced cheese. You know, I'm just awesome. But man, if you offend them, They'll, they'll sever that relationship and they'll head off. They won't even talk to you. You can try to call them, text them. You can reach out to them. Nope, not gonna have it. An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. And then Matthew eighteen fifteen says this, that if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, then you have won. In other words, you've reconciled that person back to you. So that's talking about relationship between you and someone. Look at this quote real quick. A true friend will stab you in the front, not the back. Isn't that good? A true friend, somebody who loves you, will stab you in the front. In other words, I was talking to somebody that I loved dearly a few weeks ago, and I said, and they were telling me something, and they were basically saying to me, I feel like I'm all on my own. I'm by myself. And this is what I said to them. I said, this is probably going to sting just a little bit. In other words, what was I telling them? I'm fixing to stab you from the front. 
I was telling, I said, this is probably going to sting a little bit, but I said to them, what you're saying is I feel, you feel like you're on your own, you're doing it. But like every time I reach out to you, you cut me off. Every time I reach out to you, you don't want to talk to me. Every time I reach out to you, every time I tell you, hey, I'm here if you need me. Hey, every time, you, you know, can we talk? Can we set up a call? Can we, because this person lives far away. And every time I say that, like, so it's like, I need you to hear me. I'm trying to speak the truth to you in love so I can bring us closer together. And if he will receive that, then, then the relationship will begin to do something. But if he doesn't, it'll stay where it's at. So let's look at Galatians chapter six. Let's go. We're going to do the first 10 verses here. He says, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, in other words, overcoming uh, in this sense is not victorious, but the other the other, the sin is victorious. You, you're overcome. It's more than you can bear. It caught you off guard. And if they're overcome by some sin, you who are godly, who, what kind of people? Godly people. In some of your scripture uh, translations, it'll say you who are spiritual. In other words, mature spiritually. Those who are mature spiritually and godly should gently and humbly, how should we go? gently and humbly not trying to shame them or drag all their business out into the open but we should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and then it says in the new living translation and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself there's a degree of carefulness like you can't just go handling you got to go with wisdom. You have to go discerning because a lot of times you'll be going and there'll be some, some serious spirits. Like you understand, we war, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities in high places. And there's different levels of different uh, principalities. There are some spirits that you will go that you got to be careful because you're not just wrestling against any spirit. You might be going up against some providential spirit, one with great authority that has been given to him by the enemy. So you got to know that when you're going and you're fighting those spirits, you better, you better know from where you're coming from, what place of identity and what place of authority you might be uh, coming from. Because we have scriptural evidence where uh, where people went and they tried to cast devils out and those devils whooped them up. Yep. We have scriptural evidence. So as we go in, we have to be careful, discerning with wisdom when we go into these situations. And he says, be careful that you don't fall into the same temptation. Share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. When, in other words, when you share somebody's burden, you are, you are showing love. That's fulfilling the law of Christ, the law of love. Love your neighbor as yourself. In verse three, it says, if you think you're too important to help someone, you're fooling yourself. You're not that important. Pay attention, careful attention to your own work, your own spiritual work. And then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. 
for we are each responsible for our own conduct. Let me just stop there for a second. What Paul is saying is pay attention to yourself. Pay attention to your life, how you're living, how you're growing. Because don't, don't you go over here and try to help somebody out when you got all this stuff that you, you hadn't even worked through. That's why somebody uh, one time was talking to me about finances. And I just, I, I mean, I was close enough to this person that I could try to joke with them. I'm like, bro, I appreciate the help, but you filed for bankruptcy twice. Like, Nuh-uh. I I don't want advice from you. I want advice how to not go bankrupt. You know, like you, you work on that area, but like right now you're not at a place, you are not at a place where you can give somebody sound financial advice. You, you're just not. It's just like somebody over here struggling with pornography or anything else. Like, hey, you got to pay attention to your own life Not that we're perfect, but you have to pay attention to your own life. And Paul, when he's talking here, he's saying, when you pay attention to your life, then you'll get the satisfaction of knowing that you're maturing in Christ. That's where the verse of scripture comes uh, from that it says, hey, don't point out the plank in his eye or, or the speck in his eye when you got a big old two by four sticking out of your own. Don't, don't point out a speck like it's a little thing that they're dealing with. And you got all this garbage over here. That's what it's talking about right here. Like, hey, when we're trying to reconcile people, we're not comparing each other. We're not, we're not saying, man, I'm this and you're that and I'm better and you're not. You know, no, no. All we're doing is you focus on you and you reach out in love and help bear this person's burden. And then in verse um. Six, those who are taught the word of God. I don't, this is one of those that it's like, was Paul ADD? It's just like he throws stuff in there from time to time. And it's like, where does that even fit in? Because he's, he's, he, this is what he's talking about. And then all of a sudden he says, oh, by the way, those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing good things with them. Just out of nowhere, he says, oh, by the way, all the pastors, all the leaders, be sure that that you treat them well and you pay them well. Take care of their needs. They need to be well cared for. And then he he goes right back into it, all right? So I, I didn't make it up. It's right here in scripture. Then he goes right back and he says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Does that sound like a little bit of last week's teaching? You'll always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from the sinful nature. But those who live to please the spirit will harvest everlasting life from the spirit. So listen to this, verse nine. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. For at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Listen, what he's saying is like, don't grow weary. You know, there are some people that will flat wear you out. Y'all got any of those people in your life? They will wear you out. And Paul is saying, don't grow weary. Keep doing good. Keep that channel open. That's why he gave us the fruit of the spirit in chapter five. uh, And he said, hey, patience, long-suffering, steadfastness, stay with it because at just the right time, 
you will reap a harvest of blessing. Give you this little example real quick. We were off on this men's retreat and uh, it's actually pastor's retreat. And I mean, women really should not let men go off by themselves. I mean, they're just like, you know, I'm one of them, but they're just like a bunch of kids, you know. And uh, like they, so we had this bet going on and uh, non-monetary, but nevertheless, this, this wager or whatever you want to call it on whoever won uh, the golf game, whoever got the highest score and stuff. And so we were like, oh, I think this is, this is, this is, this is. And it's like, well, whoever loses ha- and their guy comes in the lowest, you got to swim across the river. Now it's 40 degrees up in the mountains and the river's right in front of our cabin. And so Caleb, uh, the young youth pastor from Summit Church, he is the loser and gets to go in. And so he stripped down just to his um, uh, swim trunks and he gets out there and he's swimming across it and everything. And, I, and so he, he's coming back. And as soon as he gets up, he goes, dude, I just lost my wedding band. And I mean, it's it's. The, it's rocks and stuff. You can't even see the bottom because of the ripples and stuff in the water. And so anyway, um, I thought he was joking at first because I'm like, uh, mm-mm. that joker, he's, he's going to get the, all the guys out there and go, oh, I found it. I know that's what I would have done. And so he's like, I said, you did not lose it. He's like, I'm serious. I've lost my wedding ring. And so for 20 minutes, I didn't go in the water. I'm older, I'm richer. <laughs> I'm like, I'll give the first $100 to buy my wedding ring on the way back. I'm like, but I ain't going in that water. There were four of the guys who went in the water to help him find it. I mean, they could have looked for that thing all day. You can't even see the bottom because it's not clear. You know, the, the water is crystal clear, but there's so much rapids. And so while we're standing there, I thought, Oh, I saw this on TV. I saw this thing where they had glass pans and they stuck it to the top of the water and it's like a window. You can just see right to the bottom. So I ran up to the cabin and got two Pyrex dishes and I handed it to them. They stood out there looking with those pans for 20 minutes. At the last, I, I'm like, guys, y'all have got to come in. Their, their, their extremities were like cramping up. I'm like, it's four or $500, man, but y'all's feet is forever. Like y'all need to come in. And Pastor Andrew from Central Community, he was out there and he, I said, y'all come in. Everybody had given up, everybody, even the guy whose ring it was. And Andrew said, no, just, he's like, it's here, I feel it. And he's like, just, just another few minutes. And I promise you, no sooner did he said that, say that, that he put the pan back in the water and maybe a minute. And he said, I see it. And we're like, no way. And he's like, I see it. It's so clear. And so he reaches down below the water. The first time he didn't get it because the wa- water was higher than him. He had to completely submerge to get it. The second time he went, he comes up with the ring. And it makes me think of this scripture that says, do not give up at the right. I mean, if they had listened to me, if they had listened to the other senior pastors up on the bank, we're like, bro, come on in. We'll buy you a ring. You know, your wife ain't going to know the difference. You know, come on. But there were some folks in the water that were saying just another minute, just another minute. It's here. It's got to be here. 
if we don't give up in some of these situations and we are persistent, we will reap a harvest. All right? So let me real quickly go through this. This is what harvest involves. And I'm just going to try to wrap this up real fast for us. Music, would you come? So what is restoration? You could also say, what does reconciliation involve? This is, this is what restoration involves. It's going to involve confrontation. Confrontation does not mean it has to be ugly. Confrontation can simply mean I've got to address it. But a lot of times we won't address it because it might be ugly confrontational. And it might just be that there are certain people I just... I, it's just awkward. I just don't even want to address it. But if you're going to be agents of reconciliation, like Christ said, he's given us the ministry of reconciliation, you're going to have to confront the situation. You're going to have to get the courage by the power of the Holy Spirit and say, there's some things I need to talk to you about. All right? Um, it also involves this. It involves character. Paul said, let those who are of godly character, let those who are spiritual. Now, I've seen people who are not spiritual and did not possess real high quality character try to do some conflict resolution and bring people back in to uh, the body or relationship. And before they left, knives were drawn and noses were bloody because they didn't move into it with a with the character, let us, it says, let those of godly character humbly and gently, like you, you can't go in like a bull in a china shop. You can't go in and try to just say, listen, I'm just telling you, you're living in sin and you're blah, blah, blah. And you, you just go in and bust it wide open, you know? No, you have to go in and you have to, uh, you have to operate in a godly character of the fruit of the spirit and the gifts of the Spirit at, at operation in your life. You also have to be careful. He says, be careful that you don't allow that same thing to happen to you. Well, it won't happen to me. Never say never. Whenever some great men fell back in the, uh, in the 80s while I was in seminary, I said, that would never happen to me. That'll never happen to me. And as I got more mature in the Lord, I realized that's an arrogant statement. And that actually puts a target on your back that the enemy says, well, let's just see. And I'm like, you know what? I, I know there's enough targets on my back spiritually. Like, I don't want to walk around in arrogance. So I'm like, you know what? I know that even though I love my wife, even though we have what I consider a, a great marriage relationship, I also know that I'm not dumb. I know the enemy is very crafty. The scripture says he's more crafty than any other creation, any other creature. And so I know that even the very, the scripture says that, that if it were possible, even the very elect of God would be deceived. So I had a friend who was uh, in ministry and he was a pastor and he was counseling this lady who uh, had uh, lots of, family issues and things of that nature. Well, he had his own set of family issues, but nobody knew about them. They were all private. 
And so he goes into this situation. You understand what I'm saying? We just read it. And the scripture says, hey, you focus on you. You focus on you. And you don't need to be ministering in a situation that you hadn't got the victory over. Are you with me? Like if I'm weak in an area, I don't need to be ministering in that area. Because I need to be careful. Because if I'm weak in that, that enemy could very well sweep me over into that. And my friend who is in ministry, I don't even know where he's at today as far as ministry goes. But this woman that he was ministering to that had this broken family and lots of stuff going on, he and she began to have an affair. And he lost his beautiful family. Just, you know, just tore it to pieces. You got to be careful when you're in these situations. You got to, when you're, when you're restoring people, you have to know what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. Restoration involves compassion. It involves being compassionate about people. And if you're a legalist, you want to be judgmental. And if you're a person over here that's with license, you want to be excusable. And it's neither one of it's it's neither one of those by themselves, but it's both. And it's like, hey, there's a standard, but there's also grace. And we have to have compassion in this situation. And I'm telling you, I've dealt with people in ministry before that some of their sin repulses me. Because I'm thinking, how in the world could somebody get to that point? And it repulses me. But I don't operate. I don't minister out of that. I know that that's something I've got to deal with. But you've got to have compassion on people and not let the legalism get you to that place of repulsion. Like, no, this is a brother. When Paul talks about these people who have fallen and messed up, he calls them brother. He doesn't call them sinner. He doesn't call them outcasts. They are still our brother. They've messed up, but they're still part of the family of God. And number five, there's a carrying of one another's burden. Like there's a, we, we'll help you with this. Where the enemy messes up so many times or messes the, the church up is that shame gets involved, humiliation, and the person won't let you help them because they're so embarrassed or they're so you know ashamed of what they're doing. And it's like when we create a safety. Now I've I've tried to create a safety zone at Destiny, and I've still had people to tell me, I don't feel safe here. I can't help it that you don't feel safe. All I can do is try to understand and create a safety zone. And the way that I would try to explain it to them is I've seen people in the hospital before that they, that they wake up, they may have come in, they had to sedate them or whatever, they're, they're you know fuzzy, and when they wake up, they panic. You ever seen anybody like that? They panic. They're coming out of it. Where, where am I? They're hyperventilating. They might even be tied to the bed. You ever seen that? And they're panicking. They don't feel safe in that place. Is that probably the safest place on the planet for them? Yes. Are there people that want to take care of them? 
Yes. But in them, in that moment, they do not feel safe and they cannot comprehend that these people are working for my best. They're trying to put tubes in me and stick me with stuff. Take that in the spiritual realm. Many times when people mess up, they're in that place of disillusionment and, and, and fear and all kinds of things going on. And the very people who want to help them, they don't feel safe around those people because that's what sin does. It causes chaos and confusion. And when we begin to carry one another's burdens, like carrying is mean, I'm gonna come alongside of you and I'm gonna try to help you with this if you'll let me then there are consequences. Just because there's forgiveness does not make the consequence go away. If you've had sex, you're this young teenage girl, you get pregnant, there's forgiveness over all of that. You know, your parents forgive you, everybody forgives you, God forgives you, but guess what? There's still a little baby and that baby's gonna keep growing and growing and growing and you know, that's a consequence. And, you know, and it's not a bad consequence. It's just a consequence. When you have sex, most of the time, you'll have a baby. That's how, that's, that's how that works. And it doesn't, that's just one illustration. But if you do certain things, it will cause sometimes spiritual and natural results to occur. And in reconciliation, we have to sometimes deal with that. And what that looks like many times is we... If a leader uh, messes up, that leader has to step down, has to step aside. If anybody on this team were ever to be in, in just, they just got caught up in sin or any other area, like, hey, it's, you need to sit down for a little while and you need to get healthy. But what the enemy will make you think if you're operating out of this is, well, they're punishing they're punishing the drummer. They're punishing the keyboardist. They're punishing the children's worker. It has nothing to do with punishment. It's everything about those who are called to serve, those who are called to lead, are called to a higher standard. And that we've got to work on us before we can be a vessel that the Holy Spirit is flowing through. We can't lead you if we haven't led ourselves well. And so there's a time of, of, of dealing with consequences and saying, let's sit down and let's, you know, there, there's stuff that we got to fix. There's counseling that has to happen and different things like that. Number seven, there's got to be contrition. If there's not contrition, all of the acts that you go through can just be works of the flesh or going through the motions. If somebody does not have true contrition, Contrition is where repentance happens. Like, not just saying I'm sorry. I was talking to my daughter this week and I said, you remember how I used to talk to y'all when you were kids and y'all would apologize to me? What would I say to you? And she said, you told me that, that apologies don't matter unless behavior changes. That's right. Because contrition is how my heart feels. And then repentance, repentance is how I bring that into action. And so there's correction many times that has to take place. And the word of God is good for things other just than making me feel good. Man, the preacher preached us up today. Man, I feel pumped. Well, that's all good. 
But have you been realigned? Were you corrected? And I'm telling you what, every, every time you come in here, you should be course corrected a little bit. Why? Because staying in alignment is a constant thing. And then number nine, there's a contending. Paul said, don't give up. For at the right time, you're gonna reap a harvest. Like, listen, there might be people in your life that you've written off. I'm, I'm just done with them. Were you done with them or did Holy Spirit say to be done with them? Like if Holy Spirit told you that, then that's fine. But was it because you just got fed up or was it because Holy Spirit said, you know, I, I need you to just leave them to me for a while. Don't give up too soon. And then there's completeness. Completeness is this. Restoration means this. Um, Let's just say I move this. Something's happened and I have to move this, all right? So, so it's been set aside for whatever. We gotta work on it. We've gotta fix something on it. But this is what restoration means. Restoration means when all of the work is done on this and it's complete and it's finished, then I get to set this back here and we get to use it again. That's why when I'll take you back to the story that the lady said to me, well, I just believe that somebody, a pastor, a minister who has committed adultery or whatever, like they've lost their privilege. They can never be used again in ministry. That's not restoration. If that person has been restored, restoration is what uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Like the old, it's brand new again. So once we go through the restoration process, they're able to come back. And that's where the church misses it so many times. They don't understand the fullness, the completion of restoration. So what happens, Pastor Rife, if the other person won't hear you out or agree to be reconciled? Anybody ever had that happen before? I have. I don't have enough fingers on my hands to count how many times it's happened. And you know what you have to do in those situations? Back off and let Holy Spirit continue to do the work. Listen to me. It may not be six months. It may not be three years. It might be six years. I've had people to come back to me years later. And they said, I was not at a place to hear it. I was not as at a place to receive it. And so what I thought was lost all those years, Holy Spirit was doing a work in them. And they called me back, and I'm so glad that they did, but they called me back and they said, I want you to know that, you know, I, I receive it now. I'm whole. Will you forgive me? And God, I'm like, oh, just praise God that you're back in the family and you sound whole again. So I want us to do this as we activate it. If you know of a person who's in need of restoration or reconciliation, I want us to pray for that person right now, okay?